The level three, which is the most important, is what is the consequence? What is the consequence that's going to happen if you aren't able to achieve those goals? That way, during my forecasting or anything like that, I can really find out and leverage whether it's an issue for them, whether they need to solve it, why they need to solve it, and what would happen if they don't solve it. Welcome to the Asia Growth Forecast by HubSpot, a podcast where we dissect successful sales strategies of fast-growing brands and show you how to grow your business in Asia. We talk with sales leaders from brands like Neom, Aspire, VMware, and Asana to uncover the secret sauce behind their sales motion and understand what it takes to win the hearts and minds of buyers in this region. I am Adarsh Norona. And I am Romka Volkoviak, and together we lead sales for HubSpot across Southeast Asia and India. We will be your host this season, and now let's get into today's show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Asia Growth Forecast. Today, we have a few special guests joining the show to share the first-hand experiences on what it takes to achieve a sales milestone. More specifically, we're going to talk about what it takes to get to the press dance club during good times and during tough times. We shall hear insider tips from two of HubSpot's top sales reps in Asia, along with one of my most favorite sales managers, perspective on how to coach your team and lead them to success, of which, of course, P-Club is a small part. So for the first part of the show, please welcome Madison Kamudi, one of our long-standing sales managers who's coached a number of sales reps in Upspot over the years. And Usman Hijazi, Uzi, lovingly we call him, who's a long-time Upspotter himself and has experience in selling in multiple markets across the APAC region. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Excited to be here. Awesome. Madison, uh, first with you. Keen to hear a bit of your career journey and the current role that you do in Upspot, please. So I have been with HubSpot for about nine years. I initially started in our Sydney office as an account executive, as a part of our founding team, launching our presence within APAC. So I've definitely seen a lot over the past nine years. And I moved to Singapore to launch our sales team about seven and a half years ago. Within Singapore, I'm predominantly working all regions across Asia, and I'm currently focused on the emerging markets and our partner business as well. And Uzi, over to you, buddy. Yeah, thank you, Addy. I've been around with HubSpot for close to seven years now. Started off my professional career as a marketer. Believe it or not, I was working as a marketer for Red Bull. And then I came over to Australia for my postgrad and stumbled into sales, really. Seven years later, I'm here with HubSpot and loving it. That is awesome. And I've personally known you for five years, both of you, and I've seen some of the amazing achievements you've had. So hopefully we're going to have such a nice conversation that for everybody who's listening, should be able to take away a lot of notes and a lot of pointers on how they can lead their team, coach their team, or they themselves can be super successful sales reps and they can hit their peak clubs, uh, which they have. Madison, you moved to Singapore many years ago from Australia and you've been in this region for a long time now and you've seen it evolve over time. I'm keen to understand what's your take on this and what's changed over the years? It has changed drastically, I think, in such a short space of time. Mm -hmm. But I was reflecting on my time over the past seven or so years in Singapore, and I moved here to challenge myself and to be able to help businesses in this region grow. And 
at the time when I first moved, I only had worked predominantly with Australian New Zealand businesses. And I thought, well, if I can sell to Australian and New Zealand businesses, that's pretty much going to be the same thing in this region. Mm-hmm. And what, that was one of the first mistakes that I had quickly understood that just because I had sold a very similar product or the same product in one region, it doesn't actually translate to success in another. So the first thing that I think I needed to do and quickly establish was how to take a US playbook, how to take an Australian playbook and adapt it it within this region. Because as a lot of people selling within Asia know, there are so many different nuances and challenges that come with this part of the world not to say you can't overcome them, but you have to know them in order to pivot. So that was the first thing that I had to teach myself, which was basically just getting that in-market experience and having a lot of failures along the way, but also a lot of successes as we went through. Um, And that way, from a leadership perspective, I've been able to then build a bit of a repeatable process across those different regions. I think the second thing that has been so interesting is that when I first moved to Singapore, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things I found was that Technology was very much a nice to have in the B2B world. B2C, I think, was a little bit more advanced, but B2B, often we were losing business to no decision rather than to uh, a competitor. Mm. So the first thing that I realized was uh, businesses within this part of the world had spent a lot of time really mastering the traditional sales profile, which was responsible for a lot of face-to-face meetings. Salespeople were responsible for cold calling, for building their own networks, for going to events, to shaking hands, going for lunch, and really doing a lot to drive their own revenue. And what I've realized was that there was a huge gap in the market. Mm. What I found now is that there has been such a big push, especially from government initiatives, Um, like the Singapore government has done a fantastic job really pushing for digital transformation. And that has enabled more and more people to be more uh, pro-risk rather than risk adverse, which sometimes can be the default of not wanting to do things too quickly. And that has really enabled us to see a lot of success because there is more buy-in, there's more of that need. And the other thing that I have to mention is, of course, COVID. So I was here for COVID, didn't leave for a good couple of years, (laughs) my apartment, it feels like. But that was such an interesting time because businesses were forced to do and look at different ways and different streams to be able to manage their business. I spoke to so many customers who had 90 to almost 100% of their revenue coming from events, coming from networking. And when everyone was stuck at home, it really dried up. So people needed to be able to look and get creative with the ways that they were tapping into their growth channels. And they've moved to online and they're sticking with it, which is really helping with efficiencies and scale. That is awesome, Madison. And I think all of us who are listening to this show and who've been watching the Southeast Asia market in general and Singapore, especially living in Singapore, we probably will be in sync with what you both kind of highlighted on how the markets have been changing. And I think it is a reflection of the times that we are in and the times that we are going to get into. We want to move into the main topic of the show and and I want to transition towards that. It's probably a topic that's very close to hearts of the salespeople that I have met all my two and a half decades of career. And for sure, any of you listening it, President's Club. And for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the term, President's Club is a program where companies recognize and reward their top performing sales talent 
generally annually and it's often seen as a very prestigious milestone and something that most of the successful sales reps uh, would aspire for and it's an achievement that they are proud of as years rolls by and usually you've been to pick club if i'm not wrong five times in the past five years in upspot right and you even made it to founders club last year so can you kick us off and share your journey to president's club please and what were the main strategies or actions that helped you achieve this milestone and did you do anything different that you landed in a market that's relatively new for you i'm very keen to hear from you yeah i've been lucky enough it's been a good run i should say it's an interesting one because when i started off at hubspot obviously it was my first role in the tech space it was kind of my second sales job but obviously the first in the software mm-hmm. as a service mm-hmm. and i had no idea how that sort of stuff worked um i remember walking around the hubspot mm-hmm. office and looking at all these people telling gripping stories about how technology is going to change the way people look at stuff and how businesses are going to thrive and i felt what's the word i felt like i wasn't made for this i just ended up somewhere where i didn't belong and that was pretty full on because i struggled to make it through my initial probation 6 months so that was a really tough time and every day was like is this for me should i be doing this but one of the things that i think really drove me to um where i am today is I actually wanted to learn. I wanted to understand um how to talk about technology, how to understand the people who I'm talking to on a day-to-day basis. So, I Madison Hare would uh is witness that I would go up to her. She was based in the Sydney office when I initially joined and we'd have long conversations around what I was doing, how I could sort of improve the way I spoke about technology in general and also listening to, into her calls trying to figure out what sort of cues I could pick up from there. So, since then, I think what I've really simplified my process into is one is basically trying to pivot according to what the customer is looking for. If this conversation is even warranted, if these people want to have the conversation you're trying to have with them. So, essentially it was more about understanding what the pain was from their perspective as opposed to the pain with my sort of pitch and my conversation and my inadequacies in um being able to talk about technology so that really changed and along the way i managed to learn a lot not only from my peers but also from the customer themselves right. trying to understand what are the what are the trends what are the commonly um associated pains and issues that they come to me with so that was a big part of me understanding how to sort of really help people improve the way they do business with the technology that we provide. A second part to that is obviously we have a pretty wide tech stack like we we're an all-in-one software for marketing, sales, service and a bunch of other things. It's not as simple to just go in and start talking about technology when it comes right. to HubSpot. So, it's more about being willing to accept that you won't have all the answers but at the end of the day you are willing to learn and you're willing to be honest with your prospects about hey listen i'm not too sure about this but i will come back to you as opposed to telling a story that is probably going to cost you later so these bits and pieces obviously i picked up along the way and um having a marketing background i have a very keen interest in marketing i actually came to australia to do my postgrad in marketing so once i finished that um i i sort of got into sales and it was uh, appropriate that i came into upspot um talking about marketing solutions which is pretty close to my heart 
I'm resonating with what you said. I love the playbook adoption, the perspectives that you shared in that, Uzi. I'm keen to throw this to now Madison because from a manager's point of view, can you describe Madison? How does your coaching philosophy and an a different approach uh, can be taken into managing some of the reps who are so consciously aware of what they're doing and how do you help them push towards achieving the pinnacle of sales rewards which is the president's club what techniques and strategies uh, can you share that with the audience that you have found it to be most effective, Madison. So firstly, I absolutely love President's Club. I think it is one of the best incentives that a lot of companies are now adopting as it's such a good opportunity to be able to demonstrate who's at the top of their game, who is in the top percentile of the sales organization. It's a great way to be able to mix and mingle with other people who are quite like-minded and also within that club, so to speak. But also it's a trip that you often get to go with with a plus one. Right. So for me, when I've gone, I've taken family members, loved ones, um, I've taken friends before, and often those people have come on the journey with you throughout that entire year to get to that point of success. And it's a great way to give them a bit of a token of your appreciation as well and, and see that all the hard work had paid off. The first thing I do is think about understanding the individual and whether I have a new team or I have a new person on my team, I pretty much follow the same methodology. So the first thing I do is I want to understand who this person is. So I often will have a conversation with them, a copy style chat about who they are, why they're doing what they're doing. And I actually ask them to fill in a goals worksheet so that I can get a better sense as to how they want me to manage them, giving away all my secrets, but it's effectively a cheat sheet of what I need to do to work with them the best. So that's coming down to what are their goals personally? What are their goals professionally? How they like to operate? What are they striving towards? And often that sort of conversation builds a lot of trust. It's a very vulnerable conversation, but we walk away on the same page. And then that is my operating sheet to know what I need to do in order to work with them throughout the year. The second thing is identifying what trust looks like for each person on my team. Nice. So I ask them, what does it look like to earn your trust? What does it look like to break your trust? Most people who I ask will always have an answer, but they're always slightly confused. They're giving me this bit of a confused look like, why are you asking me this question? <laughs> but again, we're people managers. We want to be getting the most out of them. So them giving you the answer is the best way forward so that you know how to show up for that person. And then the next thing is once we've established that foundation, we build off it. And that usually comes down to a monthly or quarterly cadence of having one-on-ones, making sure that you're across and supporting them in their pipeline and their deals, really focusing on coaching and leading from the front to enable them to continue their skill development rather than just focusing on the micro goals or the numbers because that can get pretty boring pretty quickly. And then the next piece is recognizing their successes and celebrating their wins along the way is really, really critical. So the final thing that I'll say around that as well is also just the constant reinforcement and reminding them of why we're doing what we're doing. So sometimes you fill in this goal sheet, you document it, you're really motivated. And then a few months later, you're in a bit of a slump. You've forgotten why you're doing it. You want to throw in the towel because it's hard. That's when I look and I go back to my effectively cheat sheet of this goal sheet and say, well, why did you come here in the first place? What are you actually trying to do? And how can we get out of this together? It just reminded me of some of the conversations I've had with my teammates in India, multiple companies. The 
conversation like uzi said at the beginning of the podcast the fundamentals remains the same be it a sales rep or be it a manager who's coaching uh, sales reps the fundamentals of that remains the same thank you for those four points because those cover a kind of an completeness of a sales person's ecosystem you're talking about tactical you're talking about transactional you're talking about strengths and weaknesses you're talking about the motivating uh, factors or the guiding principles the value systems they carry to their jobs and madison yourself you've been to peak club many times and under your guidance and coaching i've seen a lot of reps have gone there thank uji for joining us in that podcast and to help us understand some of the fantastic insights of a super successful sales rep and before i let you go uh, do you want to share uzi a last takeaway for our audience and probably what's the one habit sales reps in asia can change today to get one step closer to their peak club dream Yeah, thanks for that, Ari. I think it's a pretty straightforward sort of process as far as goal that you're trying to attain, whether it be peak club or any other goals you want to go after. You sort of work backwards. You reverse engineer all the steps that you require. To give you an example, if you want to break up how you sort of hit target on a month-to-month basis, um, the amount of activity that goes into that, the amount of work you do, the amount of conversations you're having. Once you can sort of master what that looks like, then you have really specific questions quantifiable goals that you can go after and i think it's really important to start from that goal post that you set for yourself in terms of what you're trying to do whether that's peak club founders club or any other club um it's about figuring out how you get there in bite sized chunks so i think that's the most simplistic form of what a sales rep can do Uzi my man that was fantastic thank you so much thanks for all the insights you shared medicine uh, may i request you to stay with us we will go to the next segment of the show before we move on to the next segment here is a quick word from upspot is your software bill out of control you're not the only one considering a breakup with your tech stack right now let me introduce you to hubspot crm it's the best platform to speed up your sales and scale your business without blowing your budget. HubSpot's powerful CRM helps you to automate tedious tasks, keep track of all your deals in one place, and make sure your whole team has access to the same data. Best of all, you can try before you buy. No commitment, no hidden fees, not even a credit card is needed to sign up. Learn more at hubspot.com. For our next segment, Madison and I are going to be joined by Edward Pan. Ed the way i call him another long time hubspotter and a very highly successful sales professional he's no stranger to peak love and ed welcome to the show so excited to have you on the pod thanks adi good to be here and uh, good to have madison on as well we were keen to hear from you a bit about your career journey and your current role in hubspot sure yeah so i've been at hubspot for 6 years in may um It started in 2017. I was in recruitment for five years. So from 2012 to 2017 in recruitment, moved into SaaS sales. I had no idea what SaaS sales would, was back in 2017. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I've been at Houseware ever since. You're no stranger to Peak Love, isn't it? Because I know you made it to Peak Love at least three times and you've done it during the market swinging well upwards and 
also when the markets were not that encouraging for um, yep. sales. So I'm, I'm very curious to understand tougher market times, tougher region as such compared to some of the other regions across the globe, Southeast Asia especially. Um, you get different perspective, different kinds of customers and the way they honor some of the timelines in the sales processes, etc. So forecasting accuracy is a little bit here and there. What framework did you follow to set yourself up for not not just eating quota, but exceeding quota consistently? Great question, Adi. Um, so I like to use a three-level framework for each qualification criteria. Um, so whether that be timeline, whether that be goals, whether that be challenges. Um, so let's use timeline, for example. So let's say, for example, a prospect says they want to get 10,000 leads by December 23, 2023. Sorry. I'll then ask them why they're looking to get 10,000 leads by December 2023. So that's the level two. The level three, which is the most important, is what is the consequence? What is the consequence that's going to happen if you aren't able to achieve those goals? That way, during my forecasting or anything like that, I can really find out and leverage whether it's an issue for them, whether they need to solve it, why they need to solve it, and what would happen if they don't solve it. And we can then see can HubSpot really solve for the customer on that basis? And that's how I really forecast my, my deals. Uh, you just reminded me with your level three framework. One of the managers, I used to work for Lee Thompson a long time ago. And he would ask us the compelling reason for somebody to buy. And it was a mathematical yeah. question. We always answered him in English and he would push it back and say, it's a mathematical question, give me numbers. So how do you quantify a compelling reason for a customer or a prospect to buy something? And then it just drives the behavior of the persons involved, the salesperson, the customer themselves. When you, when you push them to quantify something, lot of times I've realized our customers are learning that along with us when you ask them. And when you ask such questions, they are going back to their books, grabbing their pens and saying, all right, this is how much it'll hurt us. Then you're coming at a marginal cost or the opportunity cost and then say, ah, now it makes sense. Now we need to act faster. Yes, this is hurting us. Yeah, completely agree. I think one of the things that I like to do, especially when it comes to ROI, is just figure out, okay, what is 10,000 leads to you? Like, let's work backwards right. here. How, what's the conversion rate if you were to get 10,000 leads? It's just a, a made up number right. for now, for example purposes. And then based upon that, what's the conversion rate? How much is actually going to become sales? What's the average sales price that your company right. has? And based upon that, working backwards, we can figure out, is this the right solution for you? Is Does this make sense for your company? And more importantly, it can really be able to quantify and see, okay, that's how much we're potentially losing out on revenue by not doing it. Is there anything in particular that you found interesting or you've learned along the way about selling in Asia? Quite a few things, I think. Um, in Asia, I find like, especially where the region that I work, which is North Asia, I find the organizations to be quite hierarchical. And in the beginning of my career at HubSpot, I actually lost quite a few deals. Um, so I'll work with the champion. I just work with the champion. I wouldn't try and multi-thread into the organization. I try and just speak with the champion, try and really build some rapport and build the need for HubSpot. But then what I realized near the end of the evaluation process, and it could be three weeks, it could go up to a couple of months, is that the decision maker decides actually, we don't need it. I'm not going to sign yeah. off on it, mm. right? So the thing that I try to do, um, and it's not always easy to do, is the hierarchical structure can make the POC reluctant to bring in board the senior management, is I really try and do kind of 
three things, like three options in play, right? So the first option I do is work alongside the champion to then be able to present to the decision maker. Usually this works well by having sessions with the champion, doing a slight show and tell demo with the champion, really working as a team. Like let's say, look, I'm on your side of the table. I want to bring this on board to help you and your, your daily, daily goals or your company goals, right? The other one is qualifying if this is of importance to the decision maker. And if so, perhaps it makes sense to bring them in, right? If this is an issue for you and your company's finding it a challenge, perhaps there's other things that the decision maker might have challenges in that they haven't, haven't necessarily expressed to you. These are things that maybe we can talk together with your decision maker and see if they're, if they're issues and the issues they want to solve right now. And then the third one is really, if it's not something that the decision makers cares about, so let's say I care about it, but Addy, Madison, you don't care about it, then really we're not gonna be able to bring it on board, right? Because you're the decision maker in this organization, not myself necessarily. So they're the things that we really wanna to, want to work with, especially in Asia, is figuring out who's the decision maker, based upon who the decision maker is, let's bring them into the process because the quicker we can bring them into the process, the more likely we're going to be able to find out whether we can solve for them or whether we can't solve for them. And either way, it's fine. Right. I'm very keen to hear the role of the manager in this kind of a scenario. And Madison, you've actually seen Ed through much of this journey. And can you jog your memory back for us a little bit and talk us about how you coached Ed and maybe other members of your team through such scenarios, please? Ed, I really appreciate what you're saying. And I've worked with Ed for about six years now, um, if I'm not mistaken. And I think the evolution of Ed has been absolutely profound. So I just wanted to call out how impressive it was just to hear what you just shared. As it's, It sounds really easy to say, but it has been months and years of hard work to get to this point. And I think mastery of sales does take that amount of time. But when you can articulate it the way that you just did, Ed, it was it's great. I think the big thing as well, though, from a manager perspective, is that you're one step removed from all of the deals, which means and this was a lesson that I had to learn as well, is that you aren't as emotionally involved as someone who's on the ground speaking to the prospect and is forecasting this deal. So I think one of the biggest things as a manager, for me, I have to be level-headed. I have to be non-emotional about where this deal is up to. And it's my job to be able to identify pitfalls and issues with someone's pipeline or someone's processes in order to help them. And I often will say to my team, especially when we're just starting forecasting calls or starting going through deals, the way that I frame it is I want to be ripping your deal apart, but I'm doing it with love in order to find the blind spots that may be preventing us from getting this deal across the line. Often when we're in the deal and we've got our blinkers on, we're hearing what we want to hear. Sometimes we miss things, or even if we've got too strong of a relationship with the person on the other end, we miss the hard questions because we don't want to forego that personal relationship or that rapport that you've built. So for me, I want to be able to come in and coach to identify, are there any red flags in this deal? Is there anything that um, this, pro this rep hasn't thought of, or is there anything that I can do to add value, whether it be jumping on a call from an executive sponsorship perspective, can I add in a customer case study or a story that this person may not know about because they're you know more new to the business than I am. So it's more about finding uh, a partnership in a way that works so that you're both achieving the same goal, but you're doing it in a different way. 
So for Ed, um, we've been working together for a long time. And in the beginning, we worked and operated on a very different basis. You were new to um, the SaaS world. And so my approach was more directive and more teaching because you'd never done it before. And that's like everyone coming to a new job. You need to learn how to do the job before you can move into more coaching or any other form of, I guess, like mentorship. And then over time, as we have been able to work together and focus a lot on skill development, work on coaching and Ed's confidence and ability to be able to navigate deals and not just Ed, really anyone on my team or someone that I've worked with, it moves to more of a supportive and more coaching role. So instead of me telling I'm asking the question because it's then my job to be able to draw out the right information that probably the rep already knows, but I have to remind them. Um, there's nothing I find more frustrating when someone is telling you what you already know and you have to politely nod along, where if someone turned around and instead of telling you, just asked you the question, like, what would you do? Or how do you think we should take it forward? Or why do you think this deal is not going to work out? They probably know the answer if they've been here for a, a number of months or years and um, they know when they've seen that movie play out before. So I think it's a great way for me to keep myself in check of based on working with individual reps, do I coach or do I teach? And that's really more around situational leadership, which is the methodology that I follow when coaching and helping support uh, my team with specific deals. During this stage, and I want to pick your brains on behalf of so many sales reps who are listening, how aware are you about this journey and how do you seek out a bit of coaching or teaching, whatever that works at the right amount, that stage that you are in? That's a great question. Um, I'm more than aware of it. So during 2017, I joined in May and then by December 2017, or actually I think it was October after six months, I was actually put on plan, performance plan. It was actually Madison who <laughs> put me on plan at the time. Um, and it was actually Madison's first month of being my manager and she had to put me on plan on that front. I think it was fun um, for everyone, that experience. Yeah, Couple of it learnings. Was my <laughs> Yeah, and I, it was, I was the only rep at the time who was on plan, who's ever been on plan in, in Asia, because um, we were quite newly established back then. So I'm more than aware of like how the journey's begun and really like what happened since then. You know, the beginning is Ed, you didn't even know what SaaS was back in May 2017 when you first joined. It's software as a service. Um, this is HubSpot. This is how we sell HubSpot. This is how we kind of solve for our customers' challenges or our prospects' challenges. And now it's more along the lines of, okay, Ed, let's work together. Let's figure this out together on where the pitfalls could be for this specific deal. Is this deal going to come in? Do we have the right platform to solve these challenges? Are these a challenge, challenge for them? What other criteria do we need to tick off to make sure that we're going to forecast this correctly and also make sure that this deal is going to come in for the company as well? So it's really about changing from a manager to a rep to more of two sales individuals looking through a pipeline together and working out whether it makes sense to forecast or whether it doesn't, and really getting that coaching experience from Madison as well. The one thing I'd say about Madison is she's really easy to get a hold of when it comes to like messaging on Slack or whether it be jumping on a Zoom call. So I need 15 minutes just to pick her brain. I'm able to do that. And it's really a soundboard for me as well and another tenured rep. So, so it's different. It's different, that's for sure. And uh, 
I hope that in the last six years I've slightly changed from 2017 to 2023, but it's been a, it's been a great journey. Most definitely. When you said that, uh, I think the casting crew must have pulled off a stunt here to bring you both together on a podcast, having put in plan, but congratulations, you clear the plan and you hit a hat trick of peak clubs thereafter. So things have gone well. I think as well, mm-hmm. if I can jump in. Yes, please. I was going to say as a, as a manager and especially for for people who are aspiring managers and they may be sales reps right now who are aspiring managers, it's often really easy, especially when you're new, to come in and just want to do the job for your team. I've been selling for a lot longer than you have. I've been more successful. I've seen how things have played out. And so it's a lot easier for someone to come and do the job and they don't want anything to go wrong. So they often come in and what we would call super rep their team. But often what I find the biggest learnings in these sort of experiences are often the deals that don't work out. And as a manager, you need to afford to let your deals slip or let your rep run the process because it demonstrates that you trust them and that they've got this rather than move aside, let me jump on and I'll do the job for you. Because in the short term, that might win the deal. But in the long run, that's actually not going to get anywhere. It's going to lose a lot of confidence and it's going to mean that your team is going to depend on you and rather than jumping on that 15 minute slack call or hey can we workshop this deal all of a sudden the manager's diary is completely full of calls that they may not actually need to be in but they've gotten to a point where they are so depended upon to get deals done because there's not a lot of confidence or conviction in actually closing deals alone true and as business leaders some of the things that we are taught is to become irrelevant in the business, which basically means as a manager, you should strive towards being irrelevant, which means the business goes on, team goes on without needing you. Ed, I want to jump to you and ask you, because I know you did pick up both when the markets were reasonably favorable and when they were unreasonably hard. So you did pick up in both times. I'm curious, what changes did you do when you had to hit your peak club, when the market was that much lesser favorable, what what bottlenecks did you feel um, and how did you overcome some of these? When COVID happened, it was quite tough because prospects would come back to you. They would speak with you maybe every other day. You'd follow up with them, make sure that everything's all good. But as COVID happened, a lot of things can change in organization click of a finger um, or a snap of a finger, as we'd say. So a lot had changed. So what we'd have to do and what I was able to do was really follow up more consistently. So I'd follow up with my my points of contact, follow up with my champion more consistently, make sure that I'm on top of everything, make sure that I'm multi-threaded into the organization as well, because we just don't know what's going to happen with the organization specifically. And also make sure that we're top of mind as well, because whenever there's a market downturn, whenever there's issues, there's going to be more important projects that come up specifically or challenges that come up or reorgs that happen. And we want to make sure that we're on top of this so that we can anticipate it and so that we can forecast it correctly, but also so we can know exactly how to bob and weave it as well. The other way I did it is really working backwards. So what I used to do is work forwards in understanding the challenges, understanding their goals, seeing how we can fit in, doing a demo and going from there. But what I do now is really, okay, there's your challenge. There's something you're looking to solve and here's when you're looking to solve it. But let's work backwards here. We have a three-month onboarding process for professional and above packages or solutions. So working backwards here, if you want to get started in August, 
we really need to be started getting started in May or April to make sure that we're going to get the results or start working towards those results by August. So really finding out exactly when they're looking to solve those challenges and when they're looking to hit those goals and then working backwards on it so that we have a timeline in place that we keep ourselves accountable to and that we can work together on. So that's something that I really like to adopt, especially during this downturn, especially after COVID has happened. So Madison, I'm curious the point of view of a manager here because while reps have a different style of working and there are various things they do when the markets are slow or harder, how does a manager coach differently? And what would be your tips to managers who are listening here to coach them when the markets are down? That's real. So I think the first thing we need to do is actually be empathetic to the situation and realize that there's a lot of scary stuff. There's a lot that's happening around us, but there's a lot that you can't control. So for me, what I want us to be focusing on as a team and where I usually direct my team is actually focusing on the things that we can have an impact on. So things that we can control because COVID happened and that obviously was absolutely dire and a horrible time in the world. This macroeconomic situation, there's a lot going on there. You didn't foresee happening are probably going to happen. But at the end of the day, if we can focus on the things of really mitigating any of those risks and leading with empathy, we can have a better relationship with the prospect and we can also have a real true honest conversation to figure out how real a conversation or, or an ability to be able to help our prospects um, with some of the challenges they're looking at solving. So we've done exercises in the past to be able to identify when we're in the thick of these challenges or thick of these scary times what is out of our control and what is in our control. And what we do almost from a mental exercise is remove the external uncontrollables out of our minds so that we can focus on the things that we actually can have an impact on. And that removes the paralysis of not being able to do anything and it actually gives us more empowerment and more tactics to work on to continue to support these prospects and customers who want to be partnering with us. So there's a few things like getting creative. Sounds very simple, but really whiteboarding ideas on what you can do creatively to get a deal done that may be out of the box um, and more custom is really going to help. Focusing on low-hanging fruit so for, and focusing on adding value. So for example, with HubSpot, we wanted to focus on helping our customers remain and stay with HubSpot using this, their platform or using HubSpot but also ways that we can potentially consolidate a lot of what they're doing and continue using HubSpot even more. That's a low-hanging fruit. It's a lot easier to sell to an existing account than it is a new business account because there's the trust, the product usage, it basically tested itself. Um, and then the other thing that I have really found to be very beneficial is thinking about your concessions. So a concession being a high perceived value for a customer, low perceived value for you. What is your prospect going to care about that you can essentially give away for free, but it helps make that process of getting started slightly easier without having to give too much away. It's almost working towards even more of a win-win when it comes to negotiating. And I think I have seen some of these happen, especially in regions where money flow is less. You find as a seller, you find a lot of friends or competitors who are also trying to get a, a share of the wallet. The pressure of selling is higher 
when the buyers are less. It's common sense. But the point is the end winner I have always seen is that company, that person or that platform, that technology, which caters closest to the needs or the problems that are being tried to solve from the prospect. And cash flow is harder during these times, which means people are more conscious of the return on investment that they're getting for the cash they are burning or the outlay that they foresee. It's very important, like you both summarized, to be able to control what you can and to worry little on some of the inevitable uncontrollables. Thank you, Madison, and thank you, Ed and Uzi. You guys really shared uh, some of the insights that are going to be practiced by most of our audience who have listened to this. If you are a sales rep, we spoke about the attributes that will make you a super successful sales rep. Don't forget the frameworks. Don't forget the GPCT, which you're Googling now, right now. Don't forget the level three framework that I shared. Don't forget what Uzi said about setting a goal, breaking down into smaller modules, achieving them so that eventually you will hit that bigger goal. For a sales manager, if you're here trying to coach your team, if you're navigating through market downdowns and upsides, the various ways of doing it, the things that you need to be careful, Madison was tremendous in her cheat sheets that she shared, to be able to identify the diverse necessities and needs of a team member and to identify the strengths and weaknesses of your team members, to be able to push towards the goal, press the right buttons. How do you coach? Stop giving them a fish every day. How to teach them fishing? Take that root of a bigger picture as a manager. So those insights were powerful. I want to thank you all for joining us and sharing your insights. And thank you uh, for tuning in, uh, my dear audience. And I hope you enjoyed this new format we tried. I want to remind you that we'll be back with the next episode uh, with a timely topic. And we will be back with Romka, my partner in crime. Till then, adios. Thank you, Adi, for having us. Thank you, Madison. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into UpSpot's Asia Growth Forecast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you are listening to this show. Ah, one more thing. If you found the discussion valuable, share it with at least one more person who you think would enjoy listening to it. That's it for this episode and we will see you real soon.